Working hard and we get it in Whether in the office or in the gym Trying to get a buck Chris Middleton Outworking you and all your friends In the presence of great men Receive wisdom then transcend The grind is getting real intense Oh he's slacking I'm past him No time for distractions Still dreaming and back chasing Our time's coming We very patient DMV parentheses around the V That's where I be Energy that's draining me Please keep that away from me Look man life's amazing No more complaining why you frowning? Embrace your greatness. Invest in your talents daily. Look, learn from your L's. When you do, you always win it. So when you fail, that's a chance to keep winning. Go and get it forever clocked in. I'm clocking in. Woke up, saw a new one. And I can't even gotta do it. And you know I'm getting to it. Last set, I'm pushing through it. Posted on the gram. Clock in. Come and join the movement. Trying to spread that motivation. Grind never complacent. Never on the couch. Steady meditating. Steady showing love. They throwing shade. Why that? Me, I never mind. I'm clocking and I'm grinding. That alarm. Get the buzzing. And you know that's perfect timing I'm balling Just like Wilson or Spalding I leave them falling They crawling The label's calling But me, I can't be stalling Cause time is so precious And I gotta take advantage Go and put that grind in Cause tomorrow you what you did Clock in Yeah we put it work and here's the proof. What you want? I'm making moves, punching it. I'm on it too. I'm in the gym. I'm in the stew. It's hunting season. Where's the food? We push each other daily. Level up. Cause that's what brothers do. Clock in. That intro gets me so hype. Man. <laughs> Every single time. Big shout outs to Joe Day. Denzel Weaver, look, first of all, everyone listening, if you're not following those two, J-Day007, that's Joe's, and then Zell Angelo is Denzel Weaver. Look, man, that joint cranks. I mean, there's no other way to, to really describe it. Like, I'm speechless every time I hear Yeah, I'm it. telling you, I, when, when he sent the track, I was finishing my run, right? Like, last lap or whatever. I'm I'm on the cooldown, and I get the track, and then like goosebumps come, and I'm like, all right, man, I got I got to check this out. As soon as I hear the joint, I just started running. Again. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like, I ran like man. another like mile, cause I was just so hyped, man. Big shout out to them, um, you know, Herndon natives. Yes, sir. Those are our guys. Um, and Joe can hoop too. People don't people don't understand that or might not know that. Joe can really hoop. He's a certified bucket. Certified. Um, Zell, great football player. Um, but most importantly, man, those guys, great people. So, Right. Uh, big shout out to those guys, man. And it's, it's funny because I'm thinking, like, man, that intro may get you all so hyped. You may just forget about the whole podcast and just, just clock <laughs> in. You may just, just want to start clocking in. I'm telling you, that joint is going platinum, man. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, real, real live. That joint is uh, it, it's official, but. Look, appreciate all y'all who have been supporting the movement. Um, you know, it's crazy how this all started. You know what I'm saying? And I'll let Austin kind of talk about his side of it. But um, it's just great to see, you know, people unifying during this time. You know what I mean? There's a lot of division going on. And before all these events kind of unfolded, um, the people who were clocking in came from all different backgrounds, professions, races. And um, we want to keep that same energy um, on this episode, but just in life as a lifestyle. So appreciate y'all um, for the people who are listening, who may not be following um, clock in pod is is the handle. So uh, more to come on that. But Austin, I mean, this kind of all started with you, man. You know, mm-hmm. I want to hear your perspective on 
how this whole clocking movement got started. Yeah, you know, um, as I've, I've said before, like, um, you know, as a retired athlete, uh, you know, I played um, some pro ball and, you know, I, I hung them up. So, you know, it's tough to stay in shape. It's tough to stay active when you don't have a coach, you don't have a trainer um, to keep you accountable. So I'm like, man, like I got to I got to stay on my fitness. So um, I started on, on Instagram. I started, you know, posting my myself about to work out. And I would say I'm clocking in like I'm, I'm about to go to work. Um, so after I did that, I'm like, OK, I know other people can benefit from this. So I'm going to clock my brother in. I'm going to tag him. Then I'm going to tag my girlfriend. I'm going to tag some of my best friends. Um, so that's that's really how it started, man. Like for my own selfish reason reasons of, you know, staying in shape, and I needed that accountability from other people, you right. know. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not disciplined, you know, within myself. I am, but I, you need help when you know you, you want to reach a certain goal or, um, you know, achieve something. Um, but it, it also wasn't about me either. Like I knew you could benefit from this, right? you know, um, just having that accountability partner, uh, was huge for me and I just felt, you know, inclined to do it. Um, so that's, that's really how it started. It's interesting because it all started with you bettering yourself. Right. And I feel like that's what this whole clock in movement is about. It started out as, you know, working out, staying in shape, staying disciplined from a health and wellness perspective, but, um, it, it's really a lifestyle, Right. And that's kind of what we wanted to, to start with for people who may not understand, you know, what the overall picture is. They may think it's just about working out, but it's really about that uh, Malcolm Glad Gladwell 10,000 hours rule of, you know, you got to put in the time to be great at whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just working out is just the easiest way to kind of show other people that you're clocking in. But look, if you, you know, at your job, your business, school, your relationships, parenting. Like right, parenting. That's, that's a huge seven. Huge one. Um, <laughs> Trust you, me. You gotta clock in. I'm not there yet, but I've seen my my uh, my siblings, and it's it's definitely something you gotta really put the time and in focus time, right? Um, to to be great at it. So, you know, that's that's why we're doing it, just to motivate people through multiple arenas. Um, and uh, you know, we want to use this as a platform to inspire others and and motive and figure out how you can motivate yourself and better yourself and in turn you'll be able to better other people so um just a little bit about us you know some of y'all may not know who we are um we come from a family of wait what's your what's your name uh, yeah, i should <laughs> probably start there marshall hamilton uh, I'm, I'm austin hamilton and the the better looking brother that's highly <laughs> debatable that's highly debatable um, y'all Carry can check on. y'all Carry can on. check the IG and, and the females can be the just for yourself. Um, but anyways, family of uh, seven, five siblings, um, all grew up out here in the Northern Virginia area, and um, you know, real diverse area. Been around different cultures, different backgrounds. Um, but that's really kind of shaped our beliefs, and um, you know, kind of in my opinion, helped us relate to a lot of different people. Um, but, you know, our, our family has always been about God first. Um, and that, that's how we essentially try to live our lives. And um, honestly, from a basketball perspective, that's where the clock in really started for us. Um, you know, we when I say we, Austin and I, uh, 
um, we saw our two older brothers really putting in the work yeah. um, to be to be better, right? And they didn't really have a a mentor, um, someone to really guide them. Uh, my dad didn't hoop like that, so they kind of had to get it out the mud, you know what I'm saying, on, <laughs> on their own. Right. And um, they took their own experiences and wanted to shape us. And it started with, you know, the hard work physically, but also men- mentally. You know, I feel like Walter, our oldest brother, made us really clock in and understanding the game you know what i'm saying and, and brandon was more so on the physical side but you know we've been doing this from a movement since we were like six and eight <laughs> yeah no it's true um the first the first organized basketball league we played in we actually won the championship <laughs> i don't know if you remember wrestling youth club stonegate yeah, yeah shout, shout out, out shout, shout out to stonegate man um but we lost the first game of the season <laughs> Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, we fought. We were fighting the whole game. <laughs> the whole game we were arguing. Yo, we lost the first game of the season. Um, we might have lost like the first two or three. Definitely the first. We didn't. We didn't start off good. Nah, we didn't. Um, and, and we both cried after every. Loss. Oh yeah, every loss, every loss. Um, but you know, we we somehow figured it out, and and ended up winning the championship. Um, so that was that was pretty dope, man. Our first time ever playing organized basketball um and winning a championship you know with your with your brother your sibling um was special man i think you got like tournament mvp yeah i got something I like got that tournament mvp i got um offensive player of the year which we gotta find that film dog yeah, we like do. we do that, i know we had we had it too we have a tape vhs drone we got the uh the tape of the playoffs for yep. sure um but yeah that's where it all started that's where it all started and now, now we're here doing this, so it's just crazy how things come full circle. We used to fight all the time, dog, like all the time. <laughs> Over everything. Over everything, but... Typical sibling, you know, rivalry. Right, um, right. But, yeah, man, that's that's kind of where it, where it all started in our family. Um, and, and as you said, you know, the foundation of our faith is what shaped, you know, both of us um, ultimately. Right. And if it wasn't for that, um, we wouldn't be who we are, the type of men we are, um, you know, have the, the type of traits as far as, you know, the clocking in, the working hard, um, all that good stuff. Um, but it, that all comes from our foundation and um, in, our, in our faith. So super important to us. Um, and, you know, we're, we're excited to bring you guys along this, this journey, man. Yeah, no doubt. And first want to just kind of shout out everyone who's been clocking in you know since we started this whole thing i got a couple people that uh come to mind and if i left you out don't take it personal you know you've been clocking in but um my man nick bush you know nick is in real estate you know has two kids doing his thing but he's running religiously so shout out to nick bush shout out to my man uh kai parrot who's another herndon hornet you know how we do, yes, sir. you know what I'm saying? That's that's how we do. Um, he's, he has a lot going on in his, his world. He's clocking in, giving back to the kids, you know, with his baseball platform, but also working out. Joe Turner, another one who's who's been clocked in for a minute, um, also giving back to the community. Shout out my man Joe and No Sleep Sports. Uh, Troy Dockett, you know, Troy um, had a conversation with him yesterday, and, you know, he's really been clocked in. Um, his whole life, you know, on his own and uh, really turned it up in high school and ended up being one of the top three point shooters in the nation in college. So 
big shout out to to Troy, Jessica Minasaba, another Herndon Hornet. We go way back um, doing her thing. Courtney Jackson, that's, you know, big sis, my god sister. Damn. That's fam right there out in Florida right now, religiously clocking in and fitness, her business. Lexis Campbell, who, um, you know, actually Courtney introduced us to her. Again, single mom, doing her thing, still getting her work in. Yep. Shout out to all the single moms. Yep, no doubt. That's the ultimate clock in. Um, our sister, Maria Hamilton, you know, she, she's she been clocking in academically since day one. Um, our combined GPA as four brothers does <laughs> not equal hers. You feel what I'm saying? Uh, and she's been on her fitness wave. She just got a job, you know, in a pandemic, so congrats. And then uh, my man, Marcus Berry. Marcus... My man, uh, who's the first black person I know who voluntarily ran cross country? I'm just gonna keep it a stack with y'all. I didn't understand it. Yo, when I when I found out he was running cross country, I thought he was crazy. Yeah, fact. Because he's been a hooper his whole life, right? You know, and when when I when he made that transition, I just I laughed. I was like, Hey, you got it, you got it, big dog. Yeah. But shout out to my guy Marcus, man. Yeah, he he's been running marathons, half marathons. He's been. When it comes to running, like he's, he's the goat. Yeah, I don't, you know I don't want any parts of that. Yeah, he, he's that's no his, parts. that's his, that's his wave right there. Um, but Austin, I don't know if you had any people that you wanted to shout out specifically. I mean, yeah. you got people out in different parts of the world. So Definitely. I you um, yeah, man, big shout out to, to all my people in the UK. Um, I hope I don't miss uh, miss anyone, but um, shout out to Len. Marlon, Stanley, Welly, Rico, um, Harry, Pedro, um, I think Lynn's twin sister. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting your name. Um, but yeah, big shout out to the UK, man. I, I got to get back out there. Love the UK. Um, love all my, my Essex fam over there. Um, big shout out to my girlfriend, Jess. Uh, hey, baby. Um, Rallo. Brad, um, you know, my guy Mike from OTA, um, Caitlin Bishop. Um, I think I think that's it, man. I yeah. mean, a lot of people have been clocking in. Right. You know, if we forgot your name, you know, it, w- it wasn't on purpose. Um, but we, we love you guys, man. We appreciate you guys joining us on this journey. Real talk. Um, we're in this together. So let's let's keep it going, man. Yeah, um, this is this is exciting for us. Yeah, no doubt. And with what with what's going on in the world right now, um, you know, <laughs> we all got to clock in in some way, right? We all got to clock in to to fix um, just this society, right? And um, you know, we we wanted to talk about this um, today, obviously, because it hits home. We're, we're African Americans. Um, it hits our own network for people who aren't African-American. And we put out a little poll survey of um, what you all wanted us to discuss um, as it relates to what's going on. So I know Austin has a couple questions that we'll, we'll kind of. Yeah, so big shout out to um, Maria and Stanley for the questions. Um, Maria's first question. Uh, what are some steps individuals can take to ensure equality for all on a more consistent basis, not just when people are pub- uh, publicly being mistreated? I'll repeat that again. What are some steps individuals can take to ensure equality for all on a more consistent basis, 
not just when people are publicly being mistreated. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll answer that first. I feel like this all starts with our own internal network, right? So, you know, I I look at this whole issue in kind of three categories. What can every human being do to combat prejudice? What can you know black people do, and what can can white people do? Um, and I think her question is more about like what can we all do, right? And the biggest thing that I think we all need to realize is prejudice is not a finite issue. This isn't a win-loss issue. That That's kind of what happened uh, in, in the 70s, right? After MLK and all the civil rights leaders did what they did, they um, they treated it like, oh, we won. So then from now, from then until now, a lot of times, you know, people who aren't black have kind of been naive to racism because they thought, oh, like that ended back in the in the late sixties. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is we gotta be aware that this is this is a generational fight and it'll always be around. So let's come up with solutions that are long term, not just short term. And one of those solutions I think is every culture needs to be educated on um on black history if they're in America, because it is American history. I think that's that's the first thing. That's what the schools can do. Um, I think internally, like in again in your own networks, um, call out any prejudice, right? Not just prejudice against black people or against minorities. You know, if, if I'm talking to a group of black people and they say something about Hispanics or whites or Middle Easterns or Asians, and I let it slide, then I'm part of the issue, right? I need to call that out and yep. vice versa. So I think those are some of the concrete steps is educating everyone on, on black history, which is a part of American history, but we all have to call out and self-police our own cultures um, so that we're all getting rid of any prejudice, um, not just, you know, black prejudice. That's my, that's my take on that. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much covered it all, man. Um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and move to the next one that she had. Um, what can those who are part of the black community do do com- to to combat uh, systemic racism in order to ensure a better future for our community? Um, this is actually something that we were going to get into um, kind of later on, but um, another great question. Um, for me, again, it, it starts with education. Um, we have to educate um, our black community. And it starts within, you know, us as, as a race to seek the right knowledge, yeah. right? Um, whether that's financial literacy, um, you know, learning and understanding our constitutional rights. Um, those are ways that, you know, we can um, move forward. And because this all comes down to, you know, for me, I think it comes down to to power, right? Um, black people in America have lacked power forever, um, and when you, when you when you think about it, it's like okay, we do all these protests, um, and you know whether it's a, a silent peaceful protest or whatever the case may be, it's like what's what's the consequences that is going to happen? Um, that that black people can can convey and what what i mean by that is like okay the jews 
the Jews have power, they have money. And in America, if the Jews were to rebel and, you know, take their money elsewhere, like that's a consequence. Right. You know what I mean? We don't we don't have that. We can't force any consequences in this country. Um, but that again, that all goes back to education and understanding, you know, what we need to do to gain financial, um, you know, power and, and leadership in this country. Yep. So I think yeah. that's that's a huge, huge step that we need to take. Absolutely. Um, last question. Um, expect- expectations of friends during this time and staying mentally strong, is it okay to cut people out? Can you repeat that one more time? Expectations of friends during this time and staying mentally strong, is it okay to cut people out? So let me ask you this. Who Was that a black person who asked that? Yep. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, of course. All right, here, here's my thing. You have to have dialogue with your friends. And I'm not saying you need to reach out to them to educate them on black history. A lot of people have said, I'm done educating my non-black friends. I, I hear you. They need to be reaching out to you. Social media is a monologue. It's you posting what you think and then the other people posting what they think. If they're really your friend and you understand their heart, you need to have a conversation and you need to listen to understand, not listen to respond. When you listen to respond, you're not open to hearing what the other person is saying. What I will say is if you're going to cut someone off uh, just off of, of what's going on, you better have a, a good reason to ruin that, that friendship, right? If you cut them off because they didn't post something you thought that they should post or or, or, the, or what the, whatever the case is, um, here's the thing. Non-blacks, they don't understand what we're going through. And a lot of them aren't. They don't know how to have that conversation. Right. So you can't necessarily just cut people off just because they don't know how to necessarily communicate with you in that regard. Um, again, they can start the conversation, but ask yourself, why are you cutting them off? Right. Or why are they or, or why are you staying friends with them? Right. But it all starts with having a conversation over the phone or in person um, so that you can really understand where each other's hearts are and not prejudge um, based off of what you think they should have said or that they didn't say. So that's that's my two cents on that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, you know, there's there's certain context that that comes with it. Um, but again, it all depends on that level of friendship with that person. And, you know, if I mean, if they're talking crazy to you or they said something crazy, cut them off. Like, you don't need that energy in your life. Um, but, you know, you, you have to do a real assessment of that, that so-called friend and, you know, really assess that. But. You know, don't don't be quick to like you said, don't be quick to cut somebody off just because they didn't post something or they didn't reach out to you. Um, Because non, here's here's how I look at it. Like. If if I was a a white person and I treat, you know, black people and, you know, other races with respect, then I, I probably wouldn't reach out to a black person like where like where is that guilt coming from? Right. Yeah. You don't need. Like you don't have to do that. Yeah, and, like, and and I'm I've had white friends reach out to me, and I'm not saying like like I appreciate that. Yep. Um, 
you know, that's it's a great gesture, it's kind, but like that that's not gonna that's not gonna make me feel better. Um, and that's not really moving things forward. Right. Like what, what actionable things are you gonna do? Um, so again I'm not I'm not saying like, oh I hated everyone who reached out to me, but it's like where where is that guilt coming from? You don't you don't need to do that. Um so yeah, that's that's kind of where I stand on it. Man. A lot of it came from social media pressure. Oh my god! Uh, which yeah. which which is I mean we can talk about that um, and for forever, but just hopping on the bandwagon. Yeah, I mean here's my thing. Like you said, man, um, you can't let black people bully you into doing something that you weren't gonna do just to feel good about yourself in the moment or so that you look a certain way. If like he said, if you if you haven't done anything prejudiced, or you maybe you you did and you've changed, then you don't need to apologize to me. Like, if you do that, what I'm gonna probably think is maybe, maybe you have been thinking things or saying things behind my back, right? So you reaching out actually may be counterproductive to me, because it's like, well, I never thought that of you. I never thought you were prejudiced or you had any racial bias. But now I might think that because yeah. you, you reached yeah. out to me. Right. Um, so, so yeah, man. I mean, I think another thing is a lot of people are calling other people who they consider friends, you know, real friends when they're really acquaintances. Right. If you can cut someone off that quick, then they weren't your, they weren't your real friend. No. They were That's, an acquaintance. Friend is a loose, loose term. Yeah. Just because y'all get drunk together, y'all have fun together, you know, play a sport together it doesn't mean that you're actually friends if you take all that away then what what's the stuff what's the substance of your relationship those are who your real friends are so speaking of that man as far as social media um i mean i'm gonna keep it a, a buck with you and i told you this and i've told some other people this like last friday i was i was in a funk and i was trying to figure out why and a lot of it had to do with um, what I was seeing on social media. Um, I don't know if, if you felt the same way, but... This was on Friday? La- this is not this past Friday, but, but uh, you know... Yeah, yeah, I got Nine you. days ago. Yeah. And I just saw people just attacking, you know, real friends and, and other backgrounds just out of anger. I, I saw, you know just constant negative man and it's like i i understand like i get i get the emotion behind it i felt it but um it just it just was it was disheartening man it was it was tough to see people like looking for reasons to cut their cut their network off Mm -hmm. um so my thing is with social media it's all a facade you you can't you you cannot uh hide behind that or judge someone based off of what they post or don't post on social media. Right. Um, it's not real life. Nah. <laughs> it's not real life at all. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, social media is, it's, uh, it's, it's a touchy subject when it comes to things like this. Um, like certain things I didn't really engage in, you know, with the whole black boxing and, um, you know, just other posts, cause it's just like I, I don't I don't want to judge anybody based off that because it's like okay, when 
when this isn't um when this isn't popular anymore when you can't get likes off this like what are you going to be doing exactly and that's where that's why i'm like you know what like go ahead and do it that's cool um but let's keep the same energy a year from now um so yeah it's (laughs) it's a touchy subject man um but i mean that's just that's social media man that's just the age we're in so you know we we can't really do anything about it On Uh, on the flip side i think the cool thing i've seen is a lot of people that I did not expect to necessarily speak up from different cultures have spoken up. There has been some good that has come out of it, right? Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that social media is is just not productive at all when it comes to addressing issues like this. Um, it's it's caused politicians, governments, police departments um, to to think about you know sports leagues to think about how they can really um, you know, produce positive change during all this. Um, but more from like an internal social media perspective, meaning the people that like, you follow and who follow you, um, you got to have real dial- real dialogue, right? To yeah. really see what's going on. Those uncomfortable conversations and it's real action um, within, within the black community, white community, all communities. Um, cause you know, it's, it's cute to post a black lives matter poster and wear a shirt and go to the protest. Um, but again, let's see where we're at in a year. Let's see where we're at in two years. Cause that's, that's, what's really going to be telling. Right. So, um, yeah, social media, it's, it's tricky, man. <laughs> it's very tricky. Yeah. You got to be careful with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when, we think about what happened to um, to George Floyd. I mean, if you're a human being um, and you didn't feel outraged by that, there, there's something wrong with you. Um, you know, a lot of of white people have reached out to me um, to to kind of understand again, like what can they do? Um, there isn't really much you can do for me. It's really more about what you can do f- for you and what I what I would kind of challenge you all to think about is, all right, when a cop shooting or or, or a uh, any shooting or whether there's race involved, um, what's your first thought, right? What is the first thing that you think about when you see a headline? Is it what did that person what did that black person do wrong? Did he resist? Did she resist? Um, you know what? was the severity of the crime what's the criminal record um you know things that really when you think about it have nothing to do with the, the actual police brutality or something like a mod arbery um just flat out uh you know a lynching essentially you know if, if you're thinking what's the you know what, what what did that person do to deserve this then you gotta check yourself. You you gotta check your own heart first. <laughs> yeah. You know that that's that's the first thing that you know all white people can do when they when anything race is involved. Like, you know, are you looking to justify why that cop should have done that or why that person deserved to you know attack that black person? Or are you trying to really investigate the facts, which is what all people should do, including black people, before they come to a judgment? Um, so that's something that you gotta reflect on yourself. Yeah, so I, I mean, you 
pretty much got into um, the first question slash topic that we were going to address. Um, you know, what can the white community do? What should they not do? Um, and for me, you touched on this earlier, but the first step is, you know, we have to listen. Um, and I, I think Drew Brees was guilty of this. Um, for those of you who, who saw that, um, I don't think he listened. And, and But after that, tried to understand that point of view, right? Like when, when, you, when you have a large number of people that are, are fighting something and, you know, you don't understand, what should you do? You should listen. Ask. <laughs> ask questions and try to understand. Yep. Like it's, it's mind-boggling to me that, you know, people just quickly just go to, like you said, their own point of views without even trying to understand. Um, so that's the first thing I think is, is needed is to listen, try and understand their point of view. And that and that's anything in life. Right. That's not like, just a race if you're, thing. If your wife or girlfriend has a, a different point of view on something, try and listen, try and understand what they've gone through. Um, empathy. That I mean, that's yeah. really what it is. Yeah. Man. It's empathy. Um, so I, I think that's the first thing that, that, that has to be done. I mean, it comes down to we got to stop getting in this right, I'm right, and you're wrong uh, debate, mm-hmm. right? That's the problem with politics. That's the problem with any type of argument. It's, you know, I need to prove that I'm right. Because when that's your mindset, again, you're listening to respond you're not listening to try to really understand that person's point of view uh, there's a story that i wanted to kind of talk to everyone about it's powerful man i was um on instagram you know one of my friends his name's chris bear he's a personal trainer at Worldgate sport and health reached out to me um the right way again not saying that white people shouldn't reach out but he did reach out to me and he told me a story about how uh, his mom interacted with racism um, at, at a young age. So she grew up in Woodbridge. Uh, he's white. Um, so obviously his mom is white. And uh, one of her best friends as a kid was a black boy. You know, they did everything together at school. Um, I'm assuming this is in 60s, 70s. And um, her parents found out that this kid was black. And they basically said, you know what, you can't ever date a black person, play with a black person, or dance with a black person. She didn't understand it, but when, you know, your parents tell you something like that at a young age, you're going to you're gonna listen, right? So they're in PE class um, a few days later, and they're known for being buddies, like best friends. So the teacher pairs them up for this dance, and when they're paired up, his mom started bawling because she had to tell this young black kid that uh, that she couldn't dance with him because he was black. And to this day, she gets emotional talking about it. So the reason why I bring up this story and the reason why um, I'm relating this to what white people can do is she told Chris that at a young age so that he would never even think about doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's powerful. Here's the thing. And again, going back to people treating this as a finite issue versus infinite issue, a lot of white people who are not racist, they're not racist at all. 
they keep their kids in a bubble so that they don't think racism is even a thing, right? <laughs> you so, know, sorry to cut you nah, off. Go ahead. You know what I, I used to love, man, like, you know, growing up playing AAU when there's, like, one white dude on, like, an all-black team. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we knew they could shoot. Right. But the fact that they, like, you know, put themselves out there in a, in a new, um, you know, culture that, again, they're, they weren't accustomed to in, in a different bubble um, – was pretty du- was always dope to me yeah fact. um sorry to cut you off but nah you're good that's, I mean, that's what i thought about i mean yeah i think of like ryan loudermilk with virginia Rikers, <laughs> and uh convoy. yeah them dudes could go too they can they can hoop but my point was she didn't hide that from him she didn't hide that racism was a thing she shared experiences with him so that he could learn from it right but a lot of white parents baby boomers or gen x whatever um they either have been naive to racism or they haven't shared stories like that. So when their kids come up, they may not be racist, but they may unknowingly say things, do things that are racially biased, or they may think racism is not a problem anymore. So what you can do, whether it's with, you know, if you don't have kids, nephews, nieces, um, ask your parents if they've ever seen anything that's racist that's where this starts, right? You can educate yourself, educate your kids on the issue that has been going on for years so that they're not thinking, oh, this thing ended a minute ago. So that was a cool story. And, and again, we, that's something that y'all, y'all have control over, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, I, w- I would like to I would like to hear, you know, what a what a white parent parents say to their children, like when, when this stuff pops up. That would be that'd be powerful to hear. Yeah, you know, like like what's that conversation like? Because um, you know, for me being a a new father, like I still don't know what I'm gonna say when when that question comes up. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, man, that's that's a powerful story though. Appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Shout um, out to Chris for letting me share it. Yeah, man. Um. So I, I think uh, one. One huge way, man, that um, I think would would be so impactful. I mean, I've I've mentioned this before, but um, in professional sports, um, having owners, um, whether it's you know in the NFL or the NBA, like they they need to speak up um, because the people that are working for you pretty much the product of your business is predominantly black specifically in the nfl nba um so to me if you're not and you maybe you're doing this internally and that's great but the impact you guys would have if you said something um publicly would be would be enormous um so i really think like that that's something that needs to be done because I know for me if, if I was a player and my owner stepped up and said something, I run through a brick wall for that organization for that guy. Yeah, and absolutely. And and that's what's gonna take man. We need we need our our strong white leaders to get on board with us and to use their power and and voice what's going on. Um, and if that doesn't happen, 
you know, I, I can't see us moving forward with this. I agree. And it goes back to slavery. You know, I know that uh, this whole white savior complex, people are worried about that. Um, and that's not what we're talking about. The reality is it takes all people moving forward in the same direction for, for things to progress. In slavery, we needed white abolitionists to help. During the civil rights movement, um, we needed white people to march with us. Because guess what? Here's the reality. When white people are on the front lines and the government, police, whoever is, uh, who has, whoever's had a history of not treating black people the right way, they're going to think twice about doing what they were going to do when it was just black people, when there's white people around. Yeah. Uh, there was a video that I shared about a week ago. Um, people who, you know, white people who call themselves rednecks. I mean, they were, they, you know, second, second amendment, gun rights, all that. They went to a black shopping center and said, look, uh, we know that cops are less likely to do things like this when there are people who are white, who, um, have guns around legally. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also going to make sure that these black stores don't get looted. So all y'all who are all about the second amendment, I'm not against it, but a lot of y'all were protesting in Richmond and all these different places. If you're really um, trying to make a difference, keep that energy that they kept. If you see, um, you know, a, a, a white person, whether it's an officer or not, um, you know, doing something that could endanger a black life, you need to step up. You know, y'all need to get out there and protest, uh, you know, with them. You know what I'm saying? If, if you're really about that. So, um, again, you know, it, need, it takes everybody. You know, black people can't do it alone at the end of the day. Right. And then the last thing I'll say, you mentioned it earlier, too, but um, educate yourself. You know, we we live in Northern Virginia, right outside of D.C. Go to the African, African-American Museum. Like, when I tell you, it's just, it's remarkable, um, the the things you'll see in there, the history. Like, I'll never forget, man. Um, they have a room, um, and you can see, like, the Emmett Till casket. Wow. Um, so, if you if you think this stuff hasn't been going on for years, go to the African, African American Museum and look at that display. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I'm speechless just thinking about it, man. Yeah. Like, I, I can't imagine being a parent to that and really just living during that time and seeing how gruesome that beating was, man. Yeah. Like, God, it, I get emotional thinking about it. Um, but, yeah, I think educating yourself beyond what you learn, you know, in classroom, in the classrooms is, is very important. Not only for white people, but for black people, too. Yeah. But I think that's that's one way to do it, man. And, and educating yourself, not just on all the bad things that have happened to black people, right? One of the things that, that honestly um, pisses me off is there's enough black people during all this who's, who's posting about this is the negative thing that happened to one of our people, right? But no one's posting about you know, the new black doctor who just graduated. No one's posting about, you know, all the black history figures that have stamped our country and impacted this country for years. So 
don't just educate yourself on the bad. Educate yourself on the good. And if you're going to post about this cop shooting, all this injustice that happened to black people, you also need to post the good. Because as a as a young black man growing up, on, e- on either media outlet, I'm not trying to get political, but one side is typically this is the criminal bad thing that a black person did. The other side is typically, you know, look look at the bad thing that happened to a black person today. And this is why you can't rely on the media you need to, and you need to educate yourself. But um, there isn't a lot of good news about black people. So, I mean, th- there's not a lot, a lot of good news in the world, period. Like, oh, I, yeah, like yeah, I yeah, honestly, sure. I wish we could just like just cut off the news for like a year. Let's let's see what happens. Yeah, let's see how happy yeah. happy people are if we just don't have the news for a year. Right, because that's all they report, man. Yeah. That's all they report. It's all about division. It's all about fear, and it's not posting about good black news is not to negate the bad. Right, I'm not saying ignore the bad, but you know, a lot of white people um, assume that, like, you know, I've gone through all types of different things. And it's like, nah, like, I'm doing well. You know what I'm saying? I can't speak for, for every black person, but there's a lot of good in the black community that isn't being communicated, is, is my point. Yep. Um, a couple other things on that on that topic of, you know, how white people can help. This is a this is a, a big one, man. Um, be honest with your own bias, and bias doesn't mean you're racist, right? But think about it this way: you know, outside of entertainment, music, sports, acting, um, how would you look at black people, right? If like take that away, and what what do you actually know and value about black people outside of that, outside of those arenas, mm-hmm. right? Like. If you don't, again, this goes back to educating yourself on the good. Um, you don't think about the black doctors. You don't think about the black lawyers, the black businessmen, because that's not what's being, you know, media. That's not what's being pushed, yeah. right? So if you take away entertainment, like, how would you even interact with and educate yourself on? Black well, people? well, okay. Well, going off that, black culture is is um, is popular now. It's, it's global. It's global. And a lot of white people are are influenced by it, whether Absolutely. it's music, the way they look. Um, I mean, just <laughs> keeping it a buck, you know, white people, white girls are trying to look like black girls when it, when it comes to their body. Like, it's a fact. They're not trying to be super skinny like they like they used to be. Yeah, it's not the nineties. They're not looking like, to be Pamela. White and girls are embracing their curves now. And that's influenced because of the Beyonces, the Nicki, Nicki Minaj's. Yep. Um, Hot Girl Summer, I forget her name, but was it Meg Thee Stallion? <laughs> yeah. Whatever, yeah, 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 whatever her name is. But, um, like, realizing, it's like, wow, like, black people, black culture, I'm influenced by it. So yeah. I, I really need to look myself in the mirror and, and understand what they go through and try to listen and, and, and learn. Right. You know, um, and I, I think that's that's huge, man. Like, again, <laughs> black culture is just it's 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 pop culture right now. Um, so and, and everyone's influenced by it. Right. So that to me, that's not you're not doing yourself justice. You're not doing humanity justice 
if you're not having these conversations, if you're not seeking knowledge to understand what's going on and what's been going on for years. Yeah, for sure. And when I talk about like being honest with your own bias, I'm going to give you some examples. Um, and again, I keep it 100. For better or for worse, I keep it 100. You know, I know a lot of white dudes who, they're not racist, but let let one of, you know, the white girls in your network be attracted to one of us. Y'all act a little bit different. Y'all act a little <laughs> okay, bit different. Now, now you podding. <laughs> Y'all act a little bit different. Now you podding. I've seen a lot of white girls get shamed for liking black dudes. Now you podding. Um... I've 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 seen a lot of y'all act different when we walk into a room or walk past y'all on the street. Y'all y'all hold the hands a little bit tighter. Y'all pull them a little bit closer. Why? Why? I mean, let's call it what it is. Y'all see us as a, as a threat. There's stereotypes that you know may make y'all insecure or whatever. Fear. Uh, fear. I mean, that's, right. I mean, it, to, if we're keeping it bugged, that's what this all comes down to. Easy. Fear easy um but i mean we, uh, we don't need to get into that yeah i mean that i had to throw that out there another one is you know don't feel threatened by our success in arenas that aren't typically um quote unquote you know the black arena right so i'll give you an example um tiger woods serena williams <laughs> uh arthur ash in the corporate world in the medical world in the in the law world um yeah, black, a lot of y- black quarterbacks. Black quarterbacks. A lot. A lot of y'all. Lamar Jackson. A lot of y'all are again. They're not racist, but when we're not, when we're in y'all's lane, Cam Newton, you act a little bit different, right? And here's the thing, man. Me and Austin were talking about this the other day. Um, when when it's just a white person in our in our world, let's say rap, sports, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to go do your your stripes to get our respect. But once you get our respect, like, it's all love, bro. All love. It's all love. I'll give you an example. I was hooping yesterday. Um, don't tell the feds, but I was hooping. And there was only one <laughs> there's only one white dude out there, right? <laughs> My man, and you know, the stereotype of white boys, especially if it's just all black players, is they're just shooters. Nah, this kid, he had he had some stuff with him. He could, he could dribble, he could pass, he could do it all. A little, you know, a little Steve Nash, Jay Will type player. He hit my man with a snatch back behind the leg, one dribble spin move, finger roll, and every black dude went crazy. <laughs> if a white person's at a party that's predominantly black and they can dance, like we're gonna show them love, but it's not the same. It's, it's not, not you flip not, it. Right. It's not the same. And again, it doesn't mean y'all are racist, but these are just things you can be honest about. So um, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's telling. That's sure. that's I mean, we could go on and on, but those are just some tangible things that, you know, we feel like as white people, how y'all, what y'all can do, I should say, um, to make sure that, you know, we can do our best part to, to influence prejudice. Again, this isn't going to end, but influence it in the right direction. Yeah. So. So getting to our last question um, slash topic how can the black community move forward? Uh, what should we not do? Uh, again, how can the black community move forward? What should we not do? Um, yeah, this is uh, this is probably the most important part in all this because it starts with us. Um, 
And I always, I always go back to accountability, right? Like, what can we all do um, as an individual? What, what can we do to, to push the needle? So we have to look ourselves in the mirror. Um, and again, it also starts with education. You know, white people need to be educated, but we need to be educated on our history because I think that's what, where it starts with. Like, it's in our DNA to, to fight, um, to overcome. And we wouldn't be doing our ancestors right if we didn't really come together and try and figure this thing out. Preach. And, and move Preach. and move forward. You know, that's where it all started. So it's in our DNA to really take ownership of this um, and push the needle, right? So, again, education is where it starts. Um, financially, you know, too often in our communities, we we live in our in our own bubbles. And what I mean by that is, like, um, I think we need we need to have white friends because they do things right when it comes to fin- financial stability and literacy. Knowing how, you know, knowing knowing what stocks are, knowing how to invest. Um, those are those are ways that we can all come together, but also educate ourselves so that we can then pass it to our families yep you know what i mean Um, friends of any culture that of any culture yeah of any culture um stop blaming each other you know we we have to like (laughs) this is just a crazy theory theory of mine i'm always gonna have crazy theories but like what if the bloods and the crips like just literally came together and figured out a way to protect our communities. Nipsey was talking to them. Well, he was a crip, obviously, but he was working. Isn't that with how bloods. gang? Isn't that how gang started? It literally, I'm pretty sure, gang started because because of this reason, so that we could protect each other yeah, within mean, our communities. So it goes back. So gang, the first gangs, and a lot of people don't really understand this. So I'm going to give you a little history lesson. The first gangs in America were Irish. And this is where America's history of prejudice comes into play. Um, Irish came here and they were treated terribly. And uh, again, we just were prejudiced. Not we, but, you know, other white people were prejudiced against them. So out of that, they formed gangs in their communities to protect themselves. Exactly. Right. And. Same with the Italians um, when they came here. Any other race. Here's the difference between Irish, Italians, and other European immigrants. They can blend into into society eventually because they're they're white. And they use economics um, to get out of it. Look at the Kennedys. They're Irish. Um, Look at a lot of the Italian uh, uh, leaders in politics, business, all that. Um, They didn't face the, the same prejudice due to their color that we did. But at the end of the day, America has been prejudiced to any group of people that didn't fit the same profile as them. Mm-hmm. So no, that's no, you're right. Um, but but yeah, like think about that, man. Like if 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 our gangs and our, our culture were, were united, and this goes back to knowing our constitutional rights, and they could legally carry weapons, 
George Floyd would be alive. I I wholeheartedly agree that. Like, I mean, I wholeheartedly. Potentially, yeah, for sure. Like, think about that. Like, yep. if if we understood that we could carry weapons, and again, I'm not. This isn't that type of podcast, but um, it's legal. Yeah. Maybe he's alive. Right. Shift the mindset of fighting with each other to how can we protect and move our community forward. I mean, that's essentially what you're saying. It, exactly what I'm saying. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where I start, man. I mean, as far as what not to do, we have to stop attacking white people in general. Um, when you, What do you mean by that? Like verbally or? On social media, I just saw a ton of black people just, just attacking white people in, in general. You know what I'm saying? And here's where it comes. Here's where it comes from. And I can relate. We've been taught as black people, especially uh, in our generation and even before our generation to kind of sweep off and and and, uh, and and push little micro racial comments under the rug. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially living in Northern Virginia. People say little things. They think it's funny. And as black people, a lot of times we're like, you know what? It's not as bad as what was going on in the 60s, 50s and, and you know, slavery, all that. So I'm not going to get all bent out of shape about it. Um, happens on a regular basis. Whether white people do it knowingly or, or unknowingly, it happens on a regular basis. So I feel like all that frustration of years of us kind of keeping that deep inside, it kind of flowed out on social media this past mm-hmm. week. And here's the thing, like, Going back to what I said, that that's not a long-term solution. Um, that's a, I'm pissed off and I'm just going to be mad at whoever solution, right? You saying, uh, if you don't post, I'm, I'm watching your silence and I know where we're at. That's, that's, that's BS. And, and I've seen, uh, and not just white people, but attacking other races. I've seen people attacking Hispanics, Middle Easterns, Asians. Why aren't y'all speaking up? Well, guess what? If... Y'all are speaking up about all their freaking issues, then you're a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Again, this is not a, a us versus them. Right. This is a let's end racial, let's end prejudice of all kinds. Yep. And um, white people, look. Again, this goes both ways. This is how I am. I'm. I'm. Look, I'm a personal accountability person, just like Austin said. If we say something that's offensive to you, speak up, because we may not know it, but this isn't the time to. For y'all to just say, you know what, I'm not going to speak up because, you know, uh, they're black and they've dealt with more. No, we need to have conversations. No. Right? No. Like, if you if we say something that's offensive, don't compare it like, oh, you know, it's the same. But speak up for yourself in a, in a productive way. So that's, that's, again, what I think what we should not do. Um, but I agree, man. Like, all right, there's really... There's really four ways that um, I think we can take ownership as a community. Economics, understanding the American uh, system, so the laws, um, the, you know, economics, free enterprise, all that. Black history education, as you mentioned, and, and then health. Mm, yeah. Taking control of our health. Because guess what? Um, yes, um, we have been killed at a higher uh proportionate level uh by cops compared to them killing other races but if you look at the stats um 
black people dying overall, I mean, is not going to come from cops. Um, you know, I understand. I agree. Like, we're treated differently, 100%. But the number one killer of black people are health-related diseases. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. I was going to mention that, yeah. We take control over that. We're, we're healthier. We're, we have more energy. We're here to pass on a legacy. But if a lot of us are dying at 50, early 60s due to health reasons, um, again, being able to pass down an inheritance is a lot tougher, which it ties into economics. You know, here's the thing. Like I also mentioned earlier when it comes to power, um, as a black community, we have to get out of the mindset of wealth is bad. Like, we're the only group that I hear kind of attack wealth because a lot of it is we're being we've been conditioned to think that, you know, wealth is uh, the result of white people taking advantage of, you know, us or the system or whatever. And it's not a fair way to make money. Uh, well, tell Madam C.J. Walker that tell a lot of the people in the black community in the late 1800s, early 1900s who who are doing well, the Harlem Renaissance. Um, the Harlem Renaissance was a thing because there was money that was being put into the black community, right? So we got to get out of this, um, you know, wealth is bad. We got to stop teaching our kids that. The other thing is when you take care of um, uh, of the economics, you're no longer in, in survival mode, right? When you're in survival mode, that's what leads to crime. That, that's what leads to... Um, you making short-term decisions. And again, I'm not judging, you know, anyone who comes from a lower income background because there's a, there's a survival mode in every community. The white community in different rural areas, you know, crime is high there because everyone's in survival mode. But when you take care of economics, um, you're no longer in survival mode. You're in, all right, what can I do to, to better the next generation mode? But if you don't get out of survival mode, we're never going to be able to... to, to you know, move the next generation forward. And economics is really about ownership. I mean, at the end of the day, we haven't owned anything since slavery. Yep. So if you don't own anything, look, you can climb corporate ladder, do well, do your thing. But if you don't own that, you can't pass it on to your kids. Um, the biggest thing that we need to pass down is a mentality of ownership, not just physical ownership, but mm-hmm. owning your economics, owning your health, owning, educating yourself on your, on your own history. And then, other thing, last thing I'll say when it comes to, um, uh, uh, you know, understanding America's system and how we can leverage it instead of vilifying it. Look, I know the Constitution was not written with black people in mind, right? That does that make it an excuse not to educate yourself on the laws? Because th- guess what? That's how MLK got a lot of things passed because he used the Constitution against them, right? We need to understand our laws, not... Just say, oh, man, they're racist. They weren't written for us. Well, guess what? You still should learn them. They're not changing. Yeah. <laughs> they're not changing anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. So why just, you know, complain about it? Learn them. It's um, a mentality, like you said. Exactly. Like, we can't keep looking for people to blame. Like, understand why you may need to own a gun. Understand why, you know, owning something, whether it's a business, stocks, whatever, is important. Um, figure out a way to use a system just like other cultures have. Instead of using the cop out that, you know, our, our laws aren't written for us. Wealth is bad. Like, 
you, you're that's the opposite. We gotta flip that. We gotta flip it. So that's my that's my two cents. I mean, again, I can rap about this all day, but um, that's how I think we as a community can, uh, can can be better. And and regardless of what goes on outside, we can't control people being racist. You can't control what people who aren't who don't look like us do to help our community. We can we can we can own all these things that Austin and I are talking about. Yep. Yeah. Again, it, it all stems back to education, like you said, but most importantly, the mentality. You know that mentality, man, is is huge. Like the mentality, in in, in us, you know, that's what this clock in stuff is about. It's a mentality. Yep. And I want to pass this on to my kids. You want to pass it on to your kids. Absolutely. Um, like that's why when I I record videos of of me doing push-ups in front of Ryder like it's little things like that. Yeah. Um he he gets to see me working out and, and putting in the work. Um and he's he's not even one yet. Right. And if I can continue to do that not only, you know, from the physical but in, in other aspects, he's going to be like, "Okay, this is what I need to do because he saw me do it." Yeah. And again, and that that's going to transfer um, in other ways, like you said, economics, right. um, ownership. Uh, and that's that's important, man, because our generations um, just haven't had the mentality to progress in our in our culture. Yeah. Um, but. We've done it before, and that's what yeah. I was saying, man, yeah. like it's in our DNA. Right. You know, for us to overcome what we did um you know 500 years ago that like <laughs> we can we've done it yeah like, we can do it y'all are way too worried about trump i'm sorry i'm gonna go on this is another pod moment. yeah like, like trump is one person. no man stop stop freaking posting every dumb thing he says and does we get it he is who he says he was is mike mike singletary from the 49ers <laughs> why are y'all so fo- why are y'all spending so much energy on yeah we know who he what, is what stop. he did spend your energy in, into making you know change like being the solution Spend your energy on seeing how we can, you know, uh, uh, make your own community and make yourselves better. Like, get get at y'all worry about freaking one man. No. Like, no. think about it this way: there are more Black history figures before the Civil Rights Movement than there are after. Mm-hmm. Why? Why is that? Ask yourself why. When things were way worse. Yep. When things were way worse, and. Again, this goes back to us thinking as racism as a finite issue. We we kind of dropped the ball after you know we got some rights. There, there. What was the the hunger to after after Obama got elected? Fact, but, that uh, too. Yeah, that's not the, the here yeah, nor there. Yeah, here shout out, there. Shout out to uh, Shannon Sharp. That's my guy. <laughs> we we gotta keep we gotta keep applying pressure. We thought but, it was sweet when when Obama was here, and honestly, I think <laughs> we we got comfortable. Yeah, and look who's in office now. Yeah, like there is no like we no literally we took giant steps back. No politician, no athlete, no actor can save us. Nope. We got to stop looking at people that can save us or can stop us. It goes both ways. But at the end of the day, we have ownership over all these things. Here's another thing I I, I wanted to mention. All right. In politics, what do we say as far as how black people can, uh, you know, create change? You know what? We need more black politicians. 
We need more black people in business. We need more black people in technology. But when we talk about black people being police officers, we we clown them. They're they're uh, they're, they're sellouts. How do you expect things to change if there aren't people from that community in that profession? Mm-hmm. It makes absolutely no sense. There's a guy who's a police officer in Chicago, or he was, and he brought up a great point. And he dealt with racism in his own police force. But guess what he said? They picked people who were Asian to go to Asian communities. They picked officers who were you know, Hispanic, who could speak their language. They went to Hispanic communities. We need more black officers who can relate to um, black people. Who can speak their language. Black people have their own language. We have our own experiences. Look at Flinttown. That Netflix documentary. Right? We also need more officers who are from those communities. Doesn't matter what their race is. And uh, that that way they understand where people are coming from. They know these people. We also need more officers. Shout out to my guy, um, Drew Spradlin. He tweeted this. He said, If you want to be a police officer... Do you seek to be a servant leader of your community or do you seek power? That answer might tell us tell us a lot. I have a theory on officers too. Like, I feel like if you're an officer, it's similar to like <laughs> it's similar to like the the promoters. <laughs> I I don't know where you're about to go with this, but No, like think about like <laughs> I'm I'm probably going to get killed for this, but whatever. I feel like a lot of a lot of club promoters weren't cool in high school and like didn't didn't have friends like that. <laughs> chill out, man. And uh, you chill, know, chill. They, that's not that's definitely definitely not 100% When they, when they when they became uh, <laughs> you know, club promoters, they could they were cool, they could get people in the clubs. Like that's what I feel like happens with officers, you know, like they maybe they were bullied or you know, they, they, they weren't dominant like that, so they became a police officer to to make up for those times. Yeah, there's definitely people that's, like that's that. That's the comparison that I was going with. Yeah, there's definitely people like that. I feel like with the promoter thing, it's either it's either that they weren't popular or they were really popular and that's why they are a promoter. But you know, we can't we can't vilify the whole cop profession, right? I've I've had some, some tough cop experiences, but ninety five percent have been okay. They've been good. Um, the difference between our community and others is the 5% that was bad could end up being fatal, right? But the thing is, um, every, everyone involved in this needs to self-police each other. Black people need to self-police, white people need to self-police, police need to self-police. Um, but we need more diversity in every industry, every, every industry, Mm -hmm. because, what changed in the 70s and 80s is white people started actually hanging out with black people. And they're like, you know what? I don't know what the heck my parents are talking about. Right? So you have more black officers that can, that can give perspective to, um, uh, to white officers who aren't racist. I, I think most of these police shootings, the cops are not racist, but they do have racial bias. So there's more fear involved. And they make decisions based on that bias. This guy in Minnesota was definitely racist. I mean, there's, yep. there's things that we, that came out. He's definitely racist. But um, I don't think most white cops who 
um, who, you know, kill a black person are, you know, just racist and they don't like black people. But I think if they had more black co-workers and black co-workers who actually had the the uh, courage to speak up and not just be a, you know, well, I don't really want to ruffle feathers. Like, nah, like if we're going to be in it, we need to educate. We need mm-hmm. to we need to get perspective. Um, shout out my man, Alec Ayer. He's a he's a, a cop, you know, former teammate in college. Uh, he's a white cop in a predominantly black area. And, um, you know, he's I'm praying for him. You know what I mean? He's a target. You know, let's keep it 100. And he, he gave me some insight. I talked to my man, Travis Willis. He's a black cop out here in Prince William County. And um want to have him on the podcast at, at some point. But, you know, this the point is, and, and this is where clock in kind of comes into play and, and what the movement's about. This issue is not one group versus another. This is a issue of unity versus division. Mm-hmm. Unity versus division. And we need to find ways as a world, especially as it relates to prejudice, how can we unify, right? Not how can we um, find other ways to, to, to be divided. Um, and that's what clocking in is, is, is really about, man. It's really about people from all backgrounds just becoming the best versions of themselves. And bringing people along with them. And bringing people along. Holding with each them. other accountable. Leading, inspiring, motivating. Um, and like you said, man, that's, that's what we're all about. And that's what clocking, clocking in is all about. Absolutely, man. It's, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a blessing to kind of have this platform and, um, you know, I've been blessed to have different strong leaders of every race in my life that have made me better. Um, you know, one of them is former military. And this is the last thing I'll touch on when it comes to, like, you know, prejudice, cops, you know, what's going on. Uh, For people who do use the crime or the criminal record to justify these shootings, I want you to listen to this. Talk to uh, someone who's, you know, mentor mine in the military. And um, they were telling me that when a terrorist, someone who has committed some of the worst crimes in the world is in custody if um, the United States military violates any other human rights and and does anything that's inhumane, that person who was involved gets fired, the person who's in charge of them gets fired, and then the person above them gets fired. Mm. So there are checks and balances that, uh, uh, you know, are, are in place to punish that type of behavior. That's one of the challenges with, you know, why cops get away with it. And that's really why black people are pissed off. It's not just that they did it. It's that they're not acquitted. I'm sorry. They are acquitted. They're not convicted for the crime. Right. Um, I talked to a friend who said, you know, she was a firefighter and, um, said, you know, someone told her in her chain of command, if you accidentally killed someone or someone's death was, you know, was, uh, was as a result of something you did, the union can probably get you, get you off. So that mindset has to change um, across, you know, the police unions. They got to hold each other accountable. And for people who justify the crime, well, if, if we don't, if a, if a terrorist gets treated better than a, a black person who 
had a twenty dollar counterfeit. <laughs> what what are we? T- what what's y'all's argument? Like, what are we talking about? It has nothing to I do with know. the crime. Nothing. So neither. I wanted to lay that to rest, um, because uh, I've seen a lot of that, you know, on, on the other side of the debate. Um, but again, we're all about unity. Um, we're all about everyone holding each other accountable. Most importantly, holding holding yourself accountable, and um, clock in to be great. And we all can clock in together to fight this issue. And um, we know the people that are listening, I believe, will will clock in um, and, and will inspire their own internal communities um, to, to make this place just a better world, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, man. Um, well, <laughs> I think I think we're coming to a conclusion. Uh, first first episode. Want to say uh, congrats to you, man. Congrats to us for doing this. Yeah, it's something we something we've we've wanted to do for a while. Um, so yeah, this is this is huge for us personally, um, for our family, and you know we appreciate all you guys for for jumping on board with us. Um, and you know we we hope and pray for all you guys, man, because we're in this together. Yep. And. You know we're gonna get through this together. It's, it's got to take a collective, man. That's that's what it has to take for us to to move forward. Um, so I want to leave with this quote um, from Nelson Mandela. I'm sure some of you guys have heard it, but no one is born hating another person because of the color of his because of the color of his skin, or his background, or his religion. People must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love, for love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Quote from from Nelson Mandela. Powerful, um, powerful. So yeah, man. Let's that's end, it. Let's end on that. Look, appreciate y'all. Y'all clock in this week, and we'll see y'all next week. Clock in. Let's get it. Let's get it. <laughs>